Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. What a day, what a 24 hours. As the world mourns the passing of Queen Elizabeth, a new chapter begins. A remarkable moment in London just a short time ago as King Charles III arrived at Buckingham Palace along with his wife, Camilla, now queen consort. The couple greeted by cheering crowds and well-wishers, many saying to him, God save the king. One woman seen kissing his hand. Many in the crowds had tears in their eyes. It's been an emotional day, not just for our friends over in Great Britain, but for a lot of Americans too. I've been feeling it. All walks of life, young and old, were there to welcome their new king, somebody they, many of them watched grow up and pay respects to his beloved mother. It's starting to look like after Princess Diana died outside of Buckingham Palace. We've got a fantastic show lined up for you today. Charles C.W. Cook, our favorite British American. He's American now, but was born in Great Britain. He'll be here later to talk about the Queen's love for our country and the special friendship between our two nations. And we'll also cover some of the bizarre dark moments we've seen between the announcement of the Queen's death yesterday and today, including the attacks leveled against her. I mean, in the moments after her death, some people are so awful. One of the most shocking was from a United States professor, of course, of course, who tweeted she hoped the Queen had a, quote, excruciating death. I hope she has an excruciating death. I hope this Carnegie Mellon professor goes through that. I mean, honestly, like what's wrong with this person? Uh, We'll get into it. We're also going to dive in what all of this means for America's resident royals, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle, notably not um, at the Balmoral residence of the Queen as she passed yesterday. Prince Harry and several others didn't quite make it, but Meghan never tried to go, nor did Kate Middleton. We've got some additional color on that for you. My first guest grew up in England and has met members of the royal family. He told us the last time he was on about how he dined uh, at the palace with the royal family. After uh, Prince Philip saw in uh, a piece that he had written and wanted to have him over to discuss, he's an old friend from the Kelly file as well. Mark Stein is a ho- the host of the Mark Stein Show on GB News in Britain. So great to have you back, Mark. It's uh, lovely to be back with you, Megan, even on a uh, very sad day uh, for those of us who have never lived under any other monarch, which is most people in the British Commonwealth these days. So let's start there. Um, What is it about Queen Elizabeth's passing that has led to this level of news coverage and outpouring of support? To me, this feels very different from the passing of any normal leader, a former president, especially somebody who's 96. This is this one feels very different. I think it is. Uh, She became queen when Harry Truman was in the White House. Now, that is ancient history. Uh, to most Americans. It's a whatever it is, a third of the entire history of the United States. But the Queen has been there through Truman and Eisenhower and Kennedy and Johnson and all the others and has been a constant uh, presence. Uh, My country, the Dominion of Canada, is 155 years old. 
and she was queen for 70 of those years, which is virtually uh, half the entire history of the country. And I think at a time when we live in a super hyper present tense culture, as we do these days, that it's uh, useful and comforting to have something that isn't up to the minute and that doesn't change and that just endures decade after decade. And it's a tr even at 96, it's a tremendous shock when she's there one minute. Uh, her last official act was she, she sent a message to the people of Saskatchewan on Wednesday after a terrible mass murder in that province in Canada. That was the day before she died. She's 96 and she's working until the day before she dies. And even on camera, as recently as Tuesday, mm. you know, she passed on a Thursday with incoming Prime Minister, uh, now Prime Minister Liz Truss. That was amazing. I mean, think about it. If you're that ill mm. uh, and, and there was news about her hands looking bruised and, and darker mm. in the back of her hands, so clearly she'd been undergoing something, to, to bring yourself, just to get dressed in that kind of a state, never mind, go before the cameras, pose for the photo op. I mean, to the end, she sacrificed self in the name of public service. Yes, and she'd been trying to will her failing body into being strong enough to fly back down to London and uh, be there to swear in the new members of the Privy Council. And her doctors, you know, put their foot down and said, you can't do it. But that's the thing. That's what she'd been doing. Um, I was going to say since 1947, when she gave her famous speech from Cape Town in South Africa, uh, pledging her life uh, to the service of uh, her, the the peoples of uh, our great imperial family, she put it. But in fact, she'd been doing it since before then. I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, a, a friend of mine's mother, who's a, a little old lady in her 90s, and she uh, remembers b being invited to tea with the Queen uh, when Princess Elizabeth was a little, I think it was a seven-year-old girl, and they'd arranged a sort of photo op for her with other seven-year-old girls from around the empire. And, and my friend's mum got to go to that. I mean, that is, the world is completely, so that's that would be like 90 years ago. Everything about the world has been utterly transformed since then, but she's still there. Mm-hmm. Just a little sampling of today's papers. This is the Wall Street Journal for our, our YouTube audience. Uh, you can check this out. Mm -hmm. Queen Elizabeth II dies at 96. And this is a picture from her 1953 coronation looking absolutely beautiful and spectacular. We'll be soon seeing one of those of King Charles. New York Times, Queen and Spirit of Britain. Elizabeth II, mm -hmm. whose seven-decade reign linked generations dies at 96, a country in turmoil enters a period of mourning and transition, a more recent photo of the queen. And then the New York Post, pretty great, just a picture of her when she's younger, a glamour shot, 1926 to 2022, the queen. She looks spectacular. Right. She was a great beauty when she was younger. She really she doesn't get enough credit for her natural good looks um, at a time when, <laughs> you know, a lot of women were doing a lot more than she was to try to stay good looking in the public eye. But she was a beauty inside and out. And that's what made the British people and people around the world fall in love with her. Well, people thought at that time, particularly in the US, that it was actually her sister, Princess Margaret, who was the great beauty. And Princess Margaret was the one who led, I, I guess, a kind of uh, pre 
Meghan Markle life. She she was the one who would uh, be going to parties with Frank Sinatra and Frank and she would uh, sing duets at those parties. Um, but the so and so she was generally thought Princess Margaret was generally thought to be the the beautiful and glamorous one, um, but in fact I think the the as you say as you put it I think the Queen had an inner beauty and that beauty uh, was basically her sense of service and her sense of duty, and so it meant that she she didn't just think about frippery and surface things, but she uh, she had a deep, profound inner beauty and a sense of what she needed to be uh, through through all the decades. Her her elegance, her dignity, her supreme intellect, her education, all of it made her more attractive and her reluctance to weigh in on anything controversial. Right. Which I mean, I'll get to that in one second with with now King Charles, <laughs> whether he shares the same, I think, astute reluctance as his mother. But there was a reason for that. There was a reason for that, Mark. Talk talk to us about when she took over the throne and what was happening and basically why she was so savvy in not making that position political, what she was trying to do. Well, she she always took the position that the, the queen does. And this is very different from her son. The queen doesn't need to do. The queen just needs to be. It's a system of government, uh, and simply by the fact of her existence, she diminishes politicians, which I happen to think is a useful thing. There's a difference when a uh, there's a difference in the fact that Justin Trudeau is merely the first minister of a government. He's not the head of state. The fact of the Queen's existence diminishes politicians, which I think is of supreme importance these days. And uh, the risk of sending all my conservative American friends bonkers, I think, is a defect of the American constitution, which combines the head of state and head of government. She had uh, firm views. She knew everything. I mean, one I, I've had a couple of encounters from her, but they were private events. And so I got to have fairly extended exchanges and, and to be in the presence of extended exchanges. She knew everything about everywhere. She took her job seriously. And so if she's going to a uh, uh, she's going to a literary reception for the Commonwealth novel of the year or whatever, it is, and there's going to be some West African novelists there. She'd bone up on the West African literary scene. There wasn't anything she didn't know. A uh, she she didn't have a uh, informed view of, and that's and that actually, if you do, if you're just there for year in year out. So if you can imagine, Harry Truman was a smart guy. If you can imagine that Harry Truman was still here now. Uh, 70 years later, how much experience and knowledge he would have, uh, then that's actually the, right. the, the the equivalent of what the Queen did uh, the, through through all these years. There was also talk throughout her reign about abolishing the monarchy. And, you know, do we still need a royal family? And what about colonialism? Mm. And shouldn't there be payback? And so on and so forth. And somehow <laughs> from the time she hit the microphones at age 14 to speak to other children who'd been mm. um, taken out of London during World War II, straight through to that that speech she made, should I live, should it be a long one or a short one in terms of her life, I will serve, mm. I, will, I will, you know, I, I give you my heart. Somehow she always found the way 
to almost, well, to really to be in service, to almost bend the knee to her people, to make sure that they knew she didn't see herself as ruler. She saw herself as someone who would work for the people and give to the people and try to do right by the people. Right. And, and to me, that seemed very clever when you're in a position that's precarious. Well, I don't think I don't think it's clever. I, I think you're right uh, that in that South African speech for her 21st birthday, uh, when she said, pledge myself to our great imperial family and all the rest of it, she says, but I can't do it without your without support. You. So yeah. so that view of it was there, you know, uh, 75 years ago in 1947 and has been generally true. She was born in 1926, which is just a couple of years after all the great empires of her cousins had fallen during the Great War. Uh, so the uh, Russian Empire had gone, uh, the German Empire had gone, the Austrian Empire had gone, the Turkish Empire had gone. And that's the world she was born into, in which it, you could be in the most stable and powerful royal family, and you had no great expectation of uh, becoming queen and staying queen, because it, this is no longer an age of kings. And so to survive, uh, you have to be pretty nimble and you have to walk a very fine, uh, careful tightrope uh, between moving with the times and at the same time uh, representing, uh, you know, the mystic chords of memory or whatever Lincoln would say. And she did that, you know, just a couple of months ago, she was doing a comedy sketch with Paddington Bear for mm -hmm. her platinum, platinum Jubilee and doing, uh, actually, you know, Joe Biden couldn't have managed those lines with the comic timing of the queen and the queen's 20 years older than him so uh, uh she was pretty good and pretty sure-footed with one or two exceptions uh until until the end truly when you look back on her public persona you talk about the missteps i mean the only i'm sure you have them all but the only one that you know i think of is the after, after the death of princess diana and you know she misread that situation according to reports mm. i mean what we knew as lay people was she wasn't saying anything soon enough and people started yeah. to think she didn't respect diana and that she wasn't getting where the public sentiment was and then the the report was that tony blair went to her and said you need to get out there right away and say something. Do This calls for a grand gesture. And then mm. she did. She made a speech. She, I remember, bowed the head as Diana's casket went by. And, you know, it's like mm. the monarch doesn't bow. The, the monarch is bowed, too. But she did mm. that. And she seems to have been very quickly forgiven by by most folks for that. Yeah, it was it was a, a troubling moment because it was a slightly deranged moment in London that week. Uh, and and when the Queen was prevailed upon to make a statement, because they, initially they took the view that the boys were in shock. Her grandsons had just lost their mother and they wanted to stay in Scotland, uh, the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh, and just look after the kids, which actually is a normal family thing to do. Right. And uh, Tony Blair said, no, 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 the mob's going to uh, uh, smash through the gates of Buckingham Palace and ransack the joint if you don't get out there. But even then, even though she was prevailed upon to make that speech, I always remember that the Queen was very uh, adroit in her choice of words. Uh, I remember she, she went to one point, Diana, Diana was 
and there was a long pause and then she goes and extraordinary woman and in that and in that choice of adjective you can read anything you want but the queen was telling us look i understand there were certain things i have to do but i'm not going to be shanghaied into peddling a lot of hokum just because you guys are going bananas well, that's that is one of the things about Diana is, you know, now that we learn more about her and, you know, she was not a particularly emotionally well person. Um, mm. And so you the, the picture becomes more clear that there was damage being done by both parties. Uh, and and so it wasn't all one sided, the royal family against her. And now, you know, of course, now you have Meghan Markle trying to be the next Diana, trying to make similar claims to what Diana made about the royal family, ignoring her alleged suicidality mm. and so on. Here we go again. And we know, well, we have reason to believe that she's a serial liar who makes up things to generate public sympathy. Yeah. Uh, so the queen had now, it wasn't her first rodeo when uh, when Meghan and Harry got married and pulled all that nonsense. Can I ask you? Well, about her though yeah go ahead go ahead mark no i i just want to say something about that i mean harry and Meghan are the weird the the queen's view of the royal family of being royal is it's a job it's a dull job in, in a, a lot of times it involves going you know and visiting a a primary school in new zealand and talking to a lot of uh, five and six year old boys and girls from some corner of New Zealand or some corner of Belize or some corner of wherever. And that's not the most interesting thing uh, to someone like Meghan Markle, who seemed to think she was marrying into A-list celebrity. So her wedding guests, which is weird, I've never heard of this uh, uh, from anybody's wedding. You invite people you've never met before. So she invited George, you, you, normally at a wedding, you invite your family and friends. She invented. She invited total strangers like George Clooney. Now I don't know why she would do that, but it 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 seems to me that's a misconception of what being a, a member of a royal family is. That one of the last pictures of the Queen's working life from just a few weeks ago was her receiving the governor of New South Wales, who's a very nice lady who happens to be the Queen's vice regal representative in Sydney. And uh, whoop de doo. Uh, I don't think when I'm 96, if I make it that long, I don't think you'd uh, want to do it either, Megan, uh, mm. be uh, receiving a uh, lady from uh, who's the governor of New South Wales, and you're expected to be able to talk about the ins and outs of uh, public life in New South Wales in an informed manner uh, for half an hour, 45 minutes or whatever. That's not something most 96-year-olds want to do. Megan Markle thought that being in the royal family was just having a, a card to pal around with George Clooney all the time. And when she found it meant, you know, visiting regiments and visiting hospitals and being nice to small kids from the other side of the planet, she lost interest in it, thought this is Yawnsville, uh, this is a big uh, Yawnaroo, there's no George Clooney, there's no, I'm out of here. She there's had a no fundamental camera. misconception of the job. The um, it reminds me of a line by Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm, where he's trying to explain why he's not going to go play golf, even though he lost a bet that would require him to play golf or go to Temple, I think it was. And he said, um, I'm a senior citizen. My time is limited. At this point in my life, I shouldn't be compelled into doing anything I don't want to do. Well, that's Larry David in his 70s. Look at Queen Elizabeth at 96. Uh, she still did it. She did her duty, even though, as you point out, I'm sure it wasn't exactly atop her list. She would have rather been with her dogs and her horses and her family. Um, a question on 
the Meghan Markle thing, because I've been thinking about it. I really think the queen was the anti Meghan Markle. And it's one of the reasons we're so sad to lose her. Um, Meghan Markle, and it's not just Meghan, but she's representative of a new generation that loves to whine, loves to complain, loves to invent yes. problems, loves to take one random slight that may or may not have happened and blow it up into the entire narrative, right? The entire narrative when she mm-hmm. claimed in that interview with the cut that the press are calling her children the N word. Who? Mm-hmm. Where? That would have mm-hmm. been a massive mm-hmm. story. There would have been international Mm. backlash. So clearly she's on the comments sections of random Mm. posts about her online where somebody got away with offering a terrible remark. If that I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt. And she blew it up into her narrative about how she's treated by the British press in an interview with New York magazine. That says something about Meghan Markle in the same way as the queen said something about her that it was never, never complain, never explain. She would. She would be the last to run to the cameras or the press and start lambasting anyone in her family, even those who deserved it or attackers of the royal family. Yes, I think that I think that's true. And she she regarded all that as part of the job. One another reason I actually quite like constitutional monarchy as a system is because it ensures that there's always a certain percentage of people who object to it. You know, that's the nature of monarchy. You'll always have a small Republican movement that doesn't want anything to do with it. Uh, yet last night there were pubs in uh, Londonderry in Northern Ireland, which is within Her Majesty's dominions, uh, where there were people uh, laughing and joking and sneering at the idea of the dead queen. The queen wouldn't have cared about that for a moment. She accepted that as part of the job. When she did Trooping the Colour, whatever it was, I think uh, about 30 years ago, uh, some guy, she was riding her horse through uh, down Horse Guards uh, Road in London, and some guy stepped out and pulled a gun directly in front of her uh, and in front of her horse. And uh, the, the coppers got to him. It's not like uh, President whatever in his 448-car motorcade. Uh, there's just the queen on a horse. Uh, the next year, she was back on the horse because she regards that as part of the job. The risk is part of the job. The insults are part of the job. Uh, and, and she handled it so well that, for example, Maoris, uh, Dan Wooten would know about this, but uh, disrespectful Maoris tend to greet the queen by uh, turning around and dropping their trousers and bearing their bottoms. Oh, boy. And after about... <laughs> After about the third time it happened, the Queen just would wave her gloved hand at all those pert Maori bottoms, and, it, and it, it, it's de facto incorporated in New Zealand ceremonial. The Queen just waving her hand at the mass ranks of Maori bottoms. The insults come with the job, the slights come with the job, the dangers, the risks come with the job. And the idea of Meghan Markle recycling the same half dozen grievances uh, to ever diminishing returns on Oprah or whatever show she's down to by now is is absolutely pathetic. Hmm. The um, the queen is taking criticism to this moment in a way that is offensive. Maybe the queen would have blown it off. Almost certainly. Yes, she would have. But the rest of us don't have to. People have lost their minds, Mark. I mean, it's just so disgusting. I'll give you one example I mentioned in the intro. Her name is Uju Anya. She's a professor at Carnegie Mellon, and she currently teaches and conducts research as an associate professor of second language acquisition there. She um, tweeted yesterday, 
right after we found out about the queen's death, I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating. She went on that wretched woman and her bloodthirsty throne have effed generations of my ancestors on both sides of the family. And she supervised a government that sponsored the genocide of my parents that my parents and siblings survived. May she die in agony. And goes on and on and on. Carnegie Mellon has now distanced itself from her saying that this does not it does not condone the offensive and objectionable messages. Even Jeff Bezos responded to her saying this is someone supposedly working to make the world better. I don't think so. And she continued to rip on him. Just an additional bit of color. Chris Rufo points out that she's a critical race theorist, actually, at Carnegie Mellon, who believes that, quote, white women consistently vote to protect white supremacy and that white mothers of biracial children uh, have Mandingo BBC means big black, you know what, fantasies of black Mm. men and regularly call their own children the N word. Oh, really? Okay, so this is this is who's teaching America's children. That's the biggest problem here. But she represents a fair amount of folks on the left. The, the, the far left who've reacted this way? Well, people need to get real. You know, uh, we, we, we live in a world where essentially many Western nations no longer think of themselves as conventional states. But uh, our enemies uh, do, China and Russia and Iran do, uh, they think in conventionally imperial terms that strong states dominate weak states. That's been a fact of life throughout history. The fact is, Uh, The British Empire was the most benign empire the world has ever known, which is why almost all its colonies are now quite happy to recognize the Queen and now uh, the King, uh, which I can't quite bring myself (laughs) to say, uh, as head of the Commonwealth. They they belong to a modern Commonwealth of Nations. All these supposedly uh, downtrodden colonies in which, according to this idiot, uh, the uh, Queen inflicted genocide on them. They're all quite, quite happy to be photographed alongside her uh, in the, at the Commonwealth Conference every two years. Th- this was the most benign empire in history, which is why it's held together as a post-imperial Commonwealth, uh, whose uh, high commissioners in London uh, on Saturday morning will be partaking of the Accession Council and helping proclaim the new sovereign. So she's talking absolute ahistorical codswallop, and it's the uh, and it's the imposition of her own peculiar obsessions uh, on an institution that, in fact, was one of the first post-racial institutions in the Western world. If you look at any picture, you can pick a picture from Buckingham Palace a couple of years back of the Queen with her viceroys from all over the Commonwealth. She's there, the little white old lady surrounded by black and brown and yellow men. And she is perfectly happy with them because that was the monarchy was one of the first truly post-racial institutions until Meghan Markle came along and decided that, in fact, it's basically bull Connor in uh, whatever it was uh, in the 1960s. Until that, uh, the Queen was recognized as actually having presided over a post-racial transformation in the Commonwealth. Hmm. There's now going to be a 10-day period of mourning in the UK, and uh, no parliamentary business will be done, uh, is my understanding. So 
what is this? What's next for Britons? Can they get around King, King Charles? Like, what, what do you think is coming at us in the next <laughs> 10 days and year? Well, we don't have in in the Westminster system. We don't have that thing, which I I frankly think is one of the worst uh, elements of the U.S. Constitution: the so-called three month peaceful transition of power, as you call it. And it was uh, it was actually shocking to me at six thirty yesterday evening when Buckingham Palace announced uh, the Queen has died peacefully at Balmoral. Uh, the king and the queen consort will remain there this evening and uh, leave for London in the morning. I thought, wait a minute, the, the king and the queen consort? Yes, it all takes place in 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. And I haven't heard anybody actually say the king to me since I was a little boy and occasionally little old ladies recalling some event uh, after the war would say, oh yeah, I remember, I think it was in 1947 that the king came to my village. And so I find even just you know, the king, his majesty, I find the sort of uh, overnight change in lingo actually very unsettling. And it fills me with great foreboding. I think, I think the queen held a lot of things together with great skill. And I'm not entirely sure uh, that her son is up to it. But monarchy, the price of monarchy is that you have to weather uh, substandard and low-grade monarchs and get through it until the next one. And you hope you have a Queen Victoria, you hope you have an Elizabeth II, you hope you have a, a George V, and if they're not quite in that league, you just get by with, with, with the throw of the genetic lottery dice and you mm -hmm. make the best of it. Uh, certainly will wishing King Charles a, a long and healthy life. But I will say that the folks who take care of the monarchs and their families at Buckingham Palace seem to do a great job. You know, the Queen Mum dying at 101, Prince Philip mm. dying at 99, Prince, Prince uh, Queen Elizabeth dying at 96. Uh, mm. Pretty good health care inside the palace. So uh, thinking he's going to have a long and healthy reign. I think a lot of people in the United Kingdom will be taking that as a subtle dig at the National Health Service, <laughs> Megan, which uh, which has completely fallen apart during the COVID years. Uh, but but uh, but 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 you are right. Um, the women in the House of Windsor have generally been long lived and the men not so much. And yeah. I certainly did hope that the Queen would would carry on. And uh, I, yeah, I, I want to just say what what the Queen was fantastically funny, which I always loved about her. Um, and the other thing that people don't uh, get about, she was, I think Monsieur Macron mentioned this, she was completely fluent in French. But I remember being at an event, a Canadian event with her and a, a rather surly Quebec separatist was presented to her. And uh, she had a very spirited conversation in French with him. Uh, mm. But I, what I loved about the way she spoke French was she spoke fluently, but exactly like the Queen. So she would be going, oh, monsieur, mais c'est absolument délicieux. <laughs> and the guy was completely stunned by it. Uh, but he had to admit that she spoke fantastic French, but just like you would expect an English monarch uh, to speak with that cut glass accent. I, 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 I loved listening to her do that. And it absolutely threw that guy.
It seems to me if the queen wanted to win you over, you would be won over. That is why today she's got statements coming out from every single, uh, you know, obviously living and former U.S. Mm -hmm. President Vladimir Putin came out with a statement talking about what a loving person she was. I mean, it was just the number of people has been absolutely stunning. Mark Stein, such a pleasure to see you and, and hear from you today. Thank you for being here. Thanks a lot, Megan. Always a pleasure. Coming up next, our friend Dan Wooten will be here. He's been on the air nonstop since this happened. We'll ask him for the very latest on what's happening. There have been many remarkable moments uh, in the past 24 hours and, of course, in the 96 years that we were fortunate enough to have Queen Elizabeth uh, on this planet. But there was one recent moment that stood out to us. When the Queen celebrated her Jubilee this past June, she made a surprise appearance on the balcony of Buckingham Palace. She hadn't been feeling well, and many did not think that they would see her that day. Instead, she came out with her family. And in a touching moment, the crowd broke out into God Save the Queen, marking one of the last times she would hear that song sung to her. Watch and listen. she is in her bright green suit and matching hat, all smiles as the adoring crowd chokes up, claps, cheers, waves their British flags. Wow. And there she is waving back. What a moment. Here with me now, Dan Wooden. He's host of GB News' Dan Wooden tonight and a Daily Mail columnist and has been all over this news since it broke about this time yesterday. Dan, you covered that. You've been covering the royal family. In fact, I was listening to a podcast about the royal family um, just the other day, and they kept citing Dan Wooden. Dan Wooden broke this. Dan Wooden broke that. I mean, you've been you are the reporter for Royal News. And so what do you make of the past 24 hours, the headlines we've seen and how the British people are feeling right now? It's been surreal, Megan, absolutely surreal. Obviously, we knew that the Queen's health wasn't the best. To be honest, I knew that it was far worse than what the palace was letting on, but that's what you expect with the royal family. And many times before, the Queen had bounced back. She didn't bounce back this week at 96 years old. We lost her, and I think the way that she managed to just two days before her death, Megan, pull herself literally from her deathbed in order to farewell uh, our last Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, and allow Liz Truss, the new Prime Minister, obviously shares her name to take over. And she did so with the usual dignity and grace and kindness that we expect from the Queen shows that she was a woman all about duty until the very end. She's so different to the sorts of public figures, the types of celebrities that we're used to. 
in this day and age. There was a selflessness about the Queen. She certainly represented the best of British. For me, she was the final link to my grandparents' generation. She lived through World War II. Uh, she fought in the ATS, which was uh, the same local army unit that my grandmother fought in during World War II to defend the homeland against the Nazis. And there is no other figure in the world who had so much connection to history. I mean, this is a woman who hosted JFK at Buckingham Palace. So look, we're struggling. We're not going to lie about that. The, the, the country is grieving. There's a surreal feeling. I was actually down outside Buckingham Palace last night, Megan, the moment that they lowered the flag to half-mast, signifying that the Queen had died. And I have never heard central London so silent. It was airy. You could hear a pin drop. Perhaps the beautiful thing about it, though, Megan, is that the UK is very divided at the moment. There is obviously a big culture war going on. There is a cost-of-living crisis Politics is divided. Well, the Queen was our great unifier, and I really sensed that last night. All of the people who I was speaking to, many in tears, were speaking to strangers, comforting each other, and they spanned the class divide. They spanned age divisions mm. from all ethnic groups, and that's what the Queen did. And now we obviously look to King Charles III to see if he can have the same impact. Mm. Is it even possible if he continues pushing, you know, his green energy programs? These are controversial matters like global warming isn't per se, but how to remedy it is very divisive. And it's almost like covid where one side saying follow the science and the other side saying your science is a little sketchy. Seems extraordinary to me that somebody in Prince Charles, now King Charles's position would weigh in on this. And he's done more than weigh in, Megan. I mean, King Charles views himself as a Greta Thunberg-style activist. Mm. And look, that might be okay. Personally, I disagree with the politics of it. I think the UK is on a deranged march to net zero. And the massive energy crisis that we're facing is because of that. And because we have tried to move away from fossil fuels far too quickly, as Elon Musk even admitted last week, we need time. Folk like Prince Charles don't, or King Charles now, don't want us to have that time. So that's the politics. I think where Britain stand at this moment, though, Megan, remember this is a country that now goes into an official 12-day mourning period, is that we're prepared to give King Charles III a chance. I certainly am. And he made a pitch-perfect debut, Megan, in the past couple of hours as he arrived at Buckingham Palace for the first time since becoming king, the first time since his mother's death. He left his car and he went and he met the grieving public. And he was kissed by them and he was hugged by them. And mm. it suggested that he is going to be a different type of monarch. He's going to be more accessible. He's not the queen. We know that. He doesn't have the aura of the queen. But what he might have is a more personal touch. And it was really interesting, Meghan, because you never know what happens in these sorts of situations. Do you remember when Harry and Meghan turned up at the Platinum Jubilee earlier this year? They were booed outside mm -hmm. St. Paul's Cathedral. So you never know what is going to happen. The crowd were behind King Charles today. They were singing, God save the king. They were cheering. 
They were crying. So look, so far, and we're just about an hour away from his first address to the nation, which is going to be highly significant to see what sort of tone he sets. For me, I hope he sets a non-political tone. I hope he signals that he will be moving away from these controversial left-wing eco-issues. And I hope he will follow the example set by his mother. It's early days, though, Megan. He said 73 years to watch the goat, (laughs) the goat of royals, uh, show him how it's done. So hopefully he was paying attention and will have a different tone now that he's king than he did when he was just prince. Um, Their titles have changed. Can you just give us one second on how everybody's titles have changed now, Dan? Meghan Markle finally got her wish. Her two kids are finally able to be called princes and princesses. And so I'm sure she's thrilled. Which she claimed, by the way, remember, Megan, she told Oprah that there was some big conspiracy to stop it happening. Oh, no, you just had to wait for the Queen to die, Uh, which, of course, none of us wanted, although uh, Meghan didn't seem to care too much about the health of Prince Philip, did she, given she gave that interview when he was on his deathbed. But no, so there are changes. Camilla is now Queen. Queen Camilla, she automatically takes on that title, even though officially she is the Queen Consort in a similar way uh, to the previous Queen Mother. However, that is an interesting moment, Megan, because you've got to remember there remains a significant portion of the British public who are opposed to Camilla because a lot of us haven't forgotten the way that she treated Princess Diana. However, she has turned things around in the eyes of the establishment. She was very much supported by the Queen. Prince Charles, when he married Camilla, said she wouldn't become Queen Consort, but that would have required new laws to go through Parliament. So Camilla is Queen. That is official. And now Prince William and Kate take on the previous title of Prince Charles. So they are now the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall and Cambridge. So that is a minor change. Plus, you see Archie and Lilibet officially, as you say, become a prince and a princess. Time will tell if Prince Edward inherits the former title of the Queen's husband, the Duke of Edinburgh. That has been something where there's been quite a lot of consternation. So there are changes, uh, but nothing too significant to the rest of the titles. Of course, what Prince Charles wants is he wants a streamlined monarchy. He wants people, to be honest, Meghan, to forget about Prince Edward and forget about Prince Andrew and forget about Prince Harry and Meghan too. He wants everyone focused on himself, Camilla, Prince William, Kate and their three children. Mm, you got to have Prince William thinking, Dad, you know, you're getting your exercise. You make you're eating well. Like, let's make I'm sure he's in no rush to take over yeah. that job. It's a very, very oh, big shoes no, to no, fill, no, no. you know, straight up and down. Now, you have a piece out today in the Daily Mail talking about some drama yesterday uh, in speaking of Meghan oh, and yeah. Harry. So. He did not make it to Balmoral. They were over there to promote themselves, of course, in their fake royal tour, which they made to look exactly like the tour they would take if they were royals, only it wasn't. And they were flying private jets while lecturing the rest of us again about green energy. Um, So they had just so happened that they were in London when the queen fell ill. So what happened yesterday? What was the drama on, on that front? Well, this has actually been a really shocking development, Megan, because earlier in the week, uh, Megan's mouthpiece, he's this odd little bloke. You've probably heard of him, Omid Scobie. He says that yeah. he's a journalist, but essentially he operates as a PR for Meghan Markle. And he wrote a very incendiary column saying, uh, 
forget this idea that it is the royal family who have rejected seeing Harry and Meghan. Harry and Meghan have no desire to see any member of the royal family because they think the way that Prince William treated them during their time in Britain was unforgivable. So while the Queen is on her deathbed, that's the propaganda being pumped out by Harry mm. and Meghan. Then, of course, the entire blood relatives of the Queen, or at least the close blood relatives of the Queen, her children and Prince William and Harry, were all expected to gather at Balmoral as the Queen died. Kate was going to stay in London. The, the, the blood relatives were going to be there. Then Harry and Meghan pump out via, yet again, their, their favourite media channels, including this weird guy, Scobie, uh, the statement that Prince Harry and Meghan were going to travel to Balmoral. Of course, that caused great consternation. There is huge business about the claims uh, that Meghan has made about the royal family being racist. So lots of behind-the-scenes manoeuvring went on, and eventually this weird little guy, Scobie, came out and said, oh, no, 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 it's just Prince Harry who's going. But what Prince Harry didn't do is get on the chartered RAF flight being taken by Prince Andrew, Prince Edward, Prince William and Sophie. He decided to get his own private jet because he couldn't bear to be in the same plane as his family, Meghan, even as their grandmother uh, lay on her deathbed. So he got his own private jet, but it actually arrived in Scotland after the Queen had died and after the announcement of her death had been made. Then he leaves less than 12 hours later. He's the first to leave Balmoral this morning, gets immediately on a commercial flight back to be with his Meghan in Windsor. So look, obviously, and this is what I've written my column about today, I hope and I pray, Megan, because, you know, this country needs unity at the moment. We are a country in mourning. The death of the Queen is the biggest thing emotionally as a collective we've had to go through since the tragic death of Princess Diana in 1997. So I hope and I pray within those 12 hours at Balmoral, Prince Harry realised, you know what, the one thing that the Queen would have wanted on her deathbed is for me to reunite with my family and to support my father and my brother. But of course, this is Prince Harry. He's influenced by Meghan. He's scarpered after 12 hours. Do you really think we can have that hope, Meghan? I hope and I pray that he does the decent thing and he supports his father. But you know what? That would involve having to pulp his autobiography, which is coming up and is expected to slam the royal family. If he's a decent guy, that's what he will do. I hope and I pray that's what he does. But mm. I, I'm not holding out much hope, put it that way. Yeah, because you have the biography coming out, but you also have his Netflix special. So I'm sure he's torn. He's sure he's torn because he'd love to get more footage of William and uh, the family into his Netflix special. So it'll actually happen since so far it's said to be rather boring and Netflix is unsatisfied with what they're giving them. Uh, but if you go ahead and trash him in the book, you're not going to get access to him for Netflix. They have a real they're in a real pickle, Dan. They're in a real. <laughs> Listen, as I said to you last night, my thoughts are with you. They're they're with your countrymen. Uh, we're thinking about you guys today and will be over the next couple of weeks. All the best to you and, and great job on your great reporting. Thank you so much, Megan. Coming up, Charles C.W. Cook will be here. 
And we've got a new commentator named Dominique Samuels, who are you are going to want to hear. And remember, folks, you can find The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east and the full video show and clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Megyn Kelly. If you prefer an audio podcast, follow and download the show on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast for free. And there you'll find our full archives with more than 385 shows now. Joining me now, Dominique Samuels. She's a very popular British commentator who often appears on Dan Wooden's show, along with the BBC, Sky News, and many others. She is also very outspoken, just the kind of person I like. This is her latest tweet, quote, if you celebrate the death of an elderly woman in the name of anti-racism, you're not compassionate or kind. You're a vicious hypocrite lacking in any emotional intelligence. Dominique, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So excited to be with you. Oh, thank you. I, I've been dying to get your take because, you know, I was on with Dan last night uh, on GB News and I was saying why I felt so personally sad about the loss of the queen. And yes, it has to do with she's a bridge to history and a time in both Great Britain and America where our countries were stronger and had so much to be proud of. And, you know, we fought for the good guys and defeated fascism and so on. Um, But as a woman, I related to what Paris Hilton said about about Queen Elizabeth, which was she called her the original girl boss. And that's really (laughs) that's really true. You know, in America, we don't have we've never had a female president. Obviously, we don't have a queen. We don't have Mm. a female leader who is universally respected by both sides. It's very partisan over here. So this is a woman who was without question an international leader and respected by both sides in Great Britain, who was pretty much universally beloved. Right. Maybe 15 percent of the world objects to Queen Elizabeth. And that's fine. But compared to most leaders, universal. Um, And I look around at the women around us today who we hold up as role models, Dominique, and I'm deeply alarmed. I'm disgusted. I'm concerned for my children. And I see nothing like her dignity, her class, her. I don't know. There was a serenity about her in her womanhood, in her appearance, in the way she put herself out there. And I think about I'm sorry to keep ripping on Kim Kardashian because I don't think she's a bad person, but I do strongly object to what she's done to our culture. I really do. I think she's been a force for evil, more so than a force for good. And I understand she got Alice Marie Johnson out of prison and all that. And I love Alice Marie Johnson. And Kim did a good thing there. But this is Kim being celebrated in Interview Magazine a week ago. This is her version of the American dream. She dropped her pants and she's got her naked bottom sticking out there with a far too photoshopped face. Given the chance to celebrate the American dream, this is what Kim Kardashian chose to do. I think it's disgusting. I think it's disgusting the same way I thought it was disgusting when J-Lo decided to show her vag at the Super Bowl as my then six-year-old was watching and Shakira too, right? The way I can't stand, you know, Megan the Stallion and Cardi B talking about their wet ass P words and celebrating, you know, how, what kind of sex they can give a man based on the amount of lubrication. I just, our culture is going steadily downward. And instead of celebrating people who have the dignity and the class and the reserve of Queen Elizabeth, we celebrate this now like it's something to aspire to. And it's not your thoughts. 
You know, it's so funny that you mentioned that because I actually wrote um, a piece for the Daily Mail newspaper touching upon this exact topic about the role models that we have today, especially for young women. These role models are heavily sexualized. Um, their bodies are augmented. A lot of the time, for example, in Kim Kardashian's case, their bodies are augmented and then they deny ever having surgery. So you're presenting this unrealistic idea of what a woman looks like to young women and sort of warping what they aspire to be. Nowadays, it's not really about the sort of service, the duty, the class, the elegance that the queen embodied. Nowadays, it's about being overtly sexual, uh, narcissistic, I'm an independent woman, I don't need no man, whilst at the same time basing a woman's value on what she can provide sexually to men. And when we think about how women um, and men view each other nowadays, is it any wonder that a lot of men view women as a piece of meat when we women espouse these views when we're singing along to songs such as WAP, when we're idolising women such as Kim Kardashian, who... You know, they don't even know who she, Kim Kardashian doesn't even know who she is, let alone what makes, mm-hmm. you know, a woman. So I agree with you. I think that what the Queen represented is is long gone in today's society. And I think we should bring some of that back. And maybe one good thing um, will come out of her death. And, and that's reminding women all around the world what a true, dutiful and, and classy lady looked like. Yes. And I, I don't want to sound like a prude because I understand part of being a woman and and a beautiful woman. And that 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 could be every single woman, depending on what's in her heart, um, is our sex appeal. I get that. And I don't mind the celebration of it. I really don't, even w- among powerful women. However, this is something different. WAP is something very different. That is not the celebration of one's sexuality in a way that's inspiring or empowering. It's just disgusting. It's just crass. It's crude. And it's lowbrow, right? And Miley Cyrus, I, I same like on the wrecking ball, like, okay, she never misses an opportunity to show every part of her body. It, like there's no screening of genitalia. It's just, it's too much. It To me, I find it debasing. It's, there's something, um, yeah, just debasing about it where I feel like they're, they're subjugating themselves to something and they shouldn't be. But so it's not all about the sexuality, the, the thing that I'm objecting to. It's, it's about, yeah, class and the understanding that there's a different way forward, right? That you could represent womankind in a way that's really empowering and smart and elegant and forceful. And you don't always have to go to this place of just showing your vagina at the Super Bowl show, right? Like, mm-hmm. what if you just drove around the Saudi leader in your Jeep at Balmoral and refused to slow down because the guy had never riven, ridden in a Jeep with a woman driving because the Saudis didn't let women drive then. And instead of slowing down, you accelerated, right? Like Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> I just feel like women are throwing darts at the board right now trying to matter and they're going about it all the wrong way. I think it's because we're in a crisis culturally at the moment. Men and women are being told that they don't need each other when, you know, in my personal opinion, biologically, men and women do need each other. We're intended to complement each other. And because women 
are told that, you know, they shouldn't want to look nice for a man. They shouldn't want to be appealing to a man. But at the same time, they should aspire to sort of um, participate in hookup culture like men do, despite the fact that, you know, women are, are very, very different creatures. We cannot, you know, sleep around the same way men can um, without getting emotionally attached. We're told that we we sort of need to stay away from each other and, and swap roles in this really bizarre way. And, and the reason why I think this is damaging is because it's led to a culture where we we worship these celebrities that put all of their value um, on their looks. And look, I agree yes. with you. Yes. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with, you know, wanting to be attractive. All women, whether they admit this or not, I mean, let's just be truthful here. All women do aspire to be attractive to men, whether that be attractive to your husband, attractive to a love interest, attractive to your boyfriend. But there's a difference between being quietly sexy, quietly attractive and just hanging it all out on display in this really crass way. Yeah. And being desperate and looking desperate and setting a desperate example for other young girls. And the thing that Queen Elizabeth lacked that these women, I mean, Kardashian more than any of them probably have in abundance is vanity. I feel like th- that photo of, you know, whether it's Kardashian with the Marilyn Monroe dress, you know, why did she need to touch that dress that was re- so she revered <laughs> and ruin it? Right. It's her vanity. It's why. Why do I need to see naked pictures of her all the time on the Internet? It's her vanity. Why, when she's already a billionaire three times over, does she feel the need to show us her ass when asked about the American dream. It's her vanity. And you like Queen Elizabeth was the opposite of that. Yes, she always had a nice, sweet, coordinated outfit. She always had her makeup together. But here was an example of a woman who projected strength, steadiness through the storm, a classier way, elegance, manners. I mean, truly, like the juxtaposition could not be more severe. Oh, I completely agree. And I think what's lacking with that is you know, the queen was was very self-assured. She knew what her purpose was on this earth, and that was to um, serve her people and to serve the Commonwealth. So therefore, all of the sort of worldly things that we worship now in the modern day, she was above all of that. And that's why she is loved and will always be loved um, all over the world. And with celebrities like Kim Kardashian, the reason why they're indeed so dangerous is because they may appear outwardly confident you know showing their behind um for magazines uh parading their vagina um for underage people that are watching the super bowl to see but inside these people are extremely insecure um Mm -hmm. they likely don't really have an identity and so they project that and the media allows them to do this they allow these people to create this unrealistic fairy world that doesn't actually exist for, for young girls and then these young girls are trying to aspire to it aspire to this never really quite fitting the bill and that's why in this day and age we have so many young girls getting surgery filling up their lips um doing things like OnlyFans because our culture has told them is that's what they should aspire to rather than searching for a higher purpose on this earth like the queen did. And it's really sad. Yes, it's almost evil. It's almost evil to to put that out there for all these young girls to follow and then just sort of shoulder shrugged and said like, who me? What do you mean? I just like selfies. Uh, you know, I'm just a brilliant marketer, which is what she told Interview Magazine. 
and then you if know doing really, something great if she really if she really cared about that sorry she wouldn't photoshop her pictures she mm. wouldn't lie about the surgery that she's had everyone knows that kimmy's had surgery for example and of i'm sorry course. to pinpoint her but seeing as we're talking about her if she well, I mean, really was just the best known yeah she's the best known of the group she wouldn't lie and I, and I understand like, okay, now, now she's gotten her law degree while well, she's trying. I don't know. She's, she passed, she failed the bar multiple times and then passed what's called something like the baby bar in any event as a lawyer. I never heard of this thing. Um, but she, she does that. She helps get Alice out of jail. She worked with Van Jones on getting uh, the crime reform bill passed, which has turned out to have a lot of problems, FYI. But anyway, so she's trying to put goodness out into the world here, there and, and elsewhere. But my point is it doesn't absolve her. Because she's caused more damage with the youth of not just America. She's got a, over 100 million followers on Instagram and so on. That family has caused more damage with the youth of my country and yours than 2,000 Alice Marie Johnsons could make up for. You're ruining way more lives and body images than you are saving. And I really think if she wants to do some good in this world, she should stop launching gazillion dollar uh what is it? A hedge fund or a, a venture private, uh, equity. Yeah, private equity fund. Uh, and she should reflect on how she can undo what she's done and be more like Queen Elizabeth, who is an example for us all. Let me let me turn the page and talk about the fallout, the crazies who are commenting on the queen's death in a way that's in, it's beyond provocative. It's just downright offensive. We talked about this Carnegie Mellon professor here um, with Mark Stein. Now there's a guy uh, across the pond, where you are, named Trevor Sinclair. Now, this guy's got it. He's a he's a former footballer, a soccer player to us, um, who and he's also, I guess, a, a sports host on television. And he decided to comment, uh, quote on Twitter, racism was outlawed in England in the 60s and it's been allowed to thrive. So why should black and brown mourn, meaning Queen Elizabeth? What do you make of this? Oh, it's not only nonsense, but it's just absolutely disgusting. And this is the trend that we've seen upon the announcement of Queen Elizabeth's death. All of these people that profess to be compassionate, kind, a lot of the time anti-racists, they've exposed themselves to be very vicious and very cold-hearted. For you to celebrate the death or to say that people shouldn't be sad over the death of a, another human being doesn't make you compassionate or kind or woke. It makes you very emotionally unintelligent. And this idea that Queen Elizabeth herself is responsible for all of the things that happened under the empire is ridiculous. When she spent her life, dedicated her life to um, what is now known as the Commonwealth, and dedicated her, her life, her time to thousands of charities. She was a good person, I genuinely do believe that. So to attribute Queen Elizabeth um, II as an individual to these atrocities and to the black and brown, just demonstrates a complete lack of knowledge when it comes to history. And look, I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of mixed race heritage. My mum is mixed race. Um, and she, she loves the queen. On Christmas Day, we look forward to the Queen's um, Christmas message. On the Queen's Jubilee, my mum was excited about it. I celebrated it. 
to sort of whittle it down to black and brown people should not feel like this, I think is completely ridiculous because it also discounts all of the mixed race people in this country that genuinely do feel a part of the fabric of this country, whether it be ethnically um, or culturally, and have every right to feel emotionally affected by the death of our queen. That's the thing is it's like you spend any time at all in Great Britain and I, I, you tell me, but I feel like race relations in Great Britain are a lot stronger than they are currently in our country. And I realize you're going through wokeism, too. But it, obviously, there's not the quote unquote original sin of slavery uh, in within your country, though, that there, there's, there's that in the British Empire's history. Um, mm. But this notion that the country is based on slavery, because that's what we've heard in the in the wake of the Queen's death. It's based on slavery. It's based on based on exploitation, colonialism. It just seems like nonsense. It is nonsense. And and look, OK, I'm, I'm very much aware. We're all aware of the transatlantic slave trade. We're all aware of that. But Britain was not the first country in the world to come up with slavery. OK, Arab nations were enslaving um, African people way before and, and way after the big bad white people started doing it. And that's not to justify any of those things, but it's to say that slavery is it, it it's not what started britain it's not what started the monarchy it there was a whole load of sort of steps that were taken that began the transatlantic slave trade and one of the first things to that was simply exploration to try and find uh more resources for example because particularly um under henry tudor um, there was a worry about running out of resources um, in, in Tudor, England. So that's where the exploration started. And I think if people actually examined history, they wouldn't see it in such a black and white way. Um, and it's disappointing and it's sad. But sadly, you know, woke culture that's rife within our institutions, it's not just in America, it's it's in the UK too, and it's getting worse and worse. They're, they're indoctrinating our children and effectively teaching them to hate this country and to hate everything it stands for. Um, and it's disgusting. Mm. I think about the Queen and her her brush back to Meghan Markle and her claims on Oprah about that there's some raging racist within the royal family wondering, worrying about how dark Meghan and Harry's child was going to be. And the Queen, you know, just classically says um, recollections may vary. Right. Like, again, less is more. She could have unleashed on her. She has all the power of the royal family behind her. She didn't need to just recollections may vary and telling us all in the process this is a lie. I mean, that's really what she was telling us, that this isn't true and it's not to be believed. And I think, you know, in response to these, you know, folks like uh, Trevor and this Carnegie Mellon professor, recollections may vary. Dominique, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll have you back, I hope. It's been great meeting you. Uh, coming up next, Charles C.W. Cook. He's got thoughts on all of this, and we've saved perhaps the most incendiary criticism of the Queen for Charles. We'll get to this New York Magazine writer in one minute. As we remember the life and legacy of Queen Elizabeth, we also remember the special bond between our two nations and how she supported us, she, and not just our country, during one of the darkest times in our history. The date was September 13th, 2001, two days after the 9-11 attacks. The Queen broke with a 600-year-old tradition during the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace to pay tribute to the lives lost here 
and to give comfort to our grieving nation. As thousands of people gathered by the palace gates, the queen directed the guards for the first time in their history to play our national anthem. It was an unbelievable moment we wanted to share with you. At the request of the queen, the Coldstream Guards band played the Star Spangled Banner. Let's listen. incredibly moving scene. Charles C.W. Cook is a senior writer at National Review. The people crying there, Charles, waving their American flags. And the queen did not have to do that. It was an extraordinary gesture. She then went on to actually reportedly sing the national anthem at a memorial service that happened later that day, which has apparently never been done before. The monarch doesn't sing, but several reporters said she did that day. What are you thinking about today? It's funny, I can remember that as if it were yesterday. I was 16 years old. Uh, I was pretty much apolitical. I'd always loved the United States growing up, but I, I didn't know much about the world. It didn't have to in the late 90s. And 9-11 happened, and of course, it just blew my mind. And um, I, all of the post-9-11 uh, tributes are, are burned into my memory, but that one took place you know fairly close to where i grew up and uh it really was the most extraordinary moment and i think in some ways uh made it clear just what a momentous event we just lived through uh and a, and a great gesture between two countries that really are and, and should be about as close as um as possible and it's it's sort of funny you bring up September 11th, because although they were, of course, extraordinarily different in, in nature, the last time I can remember this blanket coverage in the news was September 11th. I mean, for example, this morning, I, I logged onto Apple's website to order a new iPhone. And uh, the front page of Apple's website is completely taken up with a photograph of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, the BBC website has an enormous photograph at the top that takes up most of the page. CNN has nothing that isn't related to Queen Elizabeth until you scroll down below the fold. Every British newspaper, uh, the the whole of the front page is taken up. Most American newspapers, it's uh, it, it's it's been a, a massive international event, and I must say more so than I would have imagined uh, two days ago. Mm. There's so many reasons for it, but I do think personally one of the reasons is you think about 
the the Great Britain of when Queen Elizabeth became queen and and our own country, America. And I know you're an American citizen now back then, too. It was and you can only say this kind of thing with the benefit of some 70 plus years. But so far, it was the heyday of America in in many ways. And we were just coming off of World War Two. We had worked together to defeat fascism, the Nazis. And we were the good guys. That was a war we actually won, and it was the best war to have fought. You know, it was worth sending blood and treasure in to fight, and we did it nobly. And Winston Churchill and every figure that emerges on our side becomes a hero, and she was there for it. I mean, she was a child, she was a teenager, but it wouldn't be long after that that she would become queen. And so, I don't know, it reminds me of a time in our country's history and, and that of Great Britain where we were stronger, we were more united. We were coming off a win. Yeah, well, let's think about the changes in the world that she saw in her lifetime. Uh, I mean, we talk about her 70-year reign, but her lifetime. Um, she met Winston Churchill when she was two and a half years old, and he commented at the time on her air of authority. Mm-hmm. Now, at that point, she was not destined to be queen. She was within the royal family, but her uncle was headed uh, for Buckingham Palace. And it was only because he abdicated uh, and then her own father died young that she became queen in the first instance. Think about the changes uh, in the world. She lived through World War II. She lived through the Depression. Uh, She became queen in 1952. Uh, She was crowned a year later. Uh, She lived through the 60s. She lived through the Beatles. Uh, She lived through Vietnam, which Britain did not take part in, but still had a profound effect on world politics, the Cold War, September 11th. uh, We just saw uh, she uh, brought into the fold 15 prime ministers, the most recent of which Mm. came just uh, two days before she died. The first prime minister... Uh, over whom uh, she presided as queen, was Winston Churchill, who won his first election to the British Parliament in 1900 when (laughs) Queen Victoria was on the throne. Uh, This was a reign uh, that was notable for a whole host of reasons, and I'm I'm sure we'll get on to her personal qualities, but also just for its longevity. I mean, this was a reign that is equivalent to Queen Victoria's. Uh, this is a, a reign that was well, longer than Queen Victoria's, and as such, needs to be broken up into bits. You know, with most people, you say the Edwardian era, and that's self-contained. With Queen Elizabeth II, the Elizabethan era has to have an early part and a mid part and a late part, because um, she was just there for so long. And, and just to give you an example of this, my mother, whose middle name is Elizabeth, because she was born just after uh, the coronation. Um, has never been alive in this world, has never been alive in Britain without Queen Elizabeth being on the throne. I mean, this is a remarkable moment for her. It's not just the postage stamps that have her profile and the coins and banknotes and post boxes. Um, it's the entire world was was Elizabethan. And suddenly, 70 years later, it's not. She speaking of personal qualities, had a good sense of humor. I read a story about how at one point she was walking on the grounds or near the grounds of Balmoral with her security guard. 
And obviously she must have been dressed as a civilian who doesn't prance around Balmoral wearing her crown. <laughs> and uh, someone saw her, some tourists saw her. And, and I guess some clueless tourists who climbed out from under a rock because apparently they didn't recognize her and said, have you ever met the queen? And she looked at her security guard and said, no, but he has. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that just doesn't show um, a great sense of humor. It also shows uh, a humility yeah. uh, and a willingness and ability to put people at ease that I think is admirable. Now, you know, mm-hmm. I, I come on the show relatively often. Uh, we all know my worldview, my politics. I'm the great champion of the American Revolution. If I was setting up a country from scratch, I would not add in a monarchy. But the British monarchy works pretty well. It's inextricable from the Westminster system, from its parliament. Uh, It's popular. And one of the reasons that it works pretty well, and that I wouldn't take any steps to get rid of it or really change it in many ways, is because of Queen Elizabeth's talent for the job. And that uh, little story that you just referenced is, is a perfect example of that talent. For 70 years, she understood why she was there. She understood the limits, important limits on the role. She uh, understood uh, that her behavior would determine how the office was seen uh, and would determine the future of that office. There have been moments in British history at which Republican sentiment has been quite strong. Um, During Queen Victoria's reign, we had one. Um, And there were the makings of a Republican movement in Britain as well during the Elizabethan era. But Queen Elizabeth's uh, talent for uh, her job uh, really set them uh, to one side. And if you go back to the Labour Party of the 1970s, when it was the most radical, and it paid a price for it, of course, because it's eventually vanquished. Um, But that party was full of people who were very interested in getting rid of the monarchy. And the modern Labour Party is not. That's not the normal trend in politics. You don't normally Mm. go from having one major party uh, that wants change to an old institution to having no major parties that want change to a major institution. And that's the legacy of Queen Elizabeth. She did the job extremely well, and and she secured um, that job, I think, for the future. Two other examples of her uh, good humor and kindness. There was reportedly a faux pas committed by Michelle Obama when the Obamas went to visit the queen. And it's a totally normal human gesture, but apparently not OK when dealing with the queen. Michelle Obama put her hand on the small of the queen's back while they were walking. And instead of bristling, recoiling, you know, like you've broken a rule, the queen put her hand on Michelle Obama and is to signify we're good. You know, don't don't worry. Just a small kindness, but I'm sure it meant a lot. And it came from such a good place. There was another moment, Charles, we have it queued up where she came over here. The queen came to America in 1991. And I think it was I. Well, I guess it was H.W. Bush. Okay, so it was H.W. Bush who was introducing her and he forgot to lower the microphone down, you know, she's considerably shorter than he, than he was. And we have a full screen of it on the, on the, for the YouTube audience, but her face is exactly blocked by the microphone. And so she got up there and here's how it went. Sup three. I do hope you can see me today from where you are. (laughs) 
So this is her before Congress the next day, making a joke about what happened the day before. I do hope you can see me from where you are. And she got a standing ovation because they knew what had happened and they appreciated her sense of humor about it. She didn't feel slighted. She thought it was funny. I think that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, one can overstate the case. Of course, um, in, in many respects, she had a really nice life. She uh, was born into one of the richest <laughs> sure families did. in the world. Um, but it does take uh, talent to put people at ease. And, um, you know, as I say, the, the, the monarchy is a, is a strange and ancient institution. And it's not written in the stars that it should remain as popular as it is, not just in Britain, but for example, in Canada. I think the last poll I read had it at 80% approval. And we can put a lot of that down to um, Queen Elizabeth, who for 70 years uh, really defined uh, honor and duty. On the subject of our relationship, right, ours with, with Great Britain and, and with her, she went on in those remarks before Congress to talk about democracy and the friendship and what it meant. And as always, extremely eloquent and wowed the crowd again. We cut a little bit of it, thought it was worth playing today. Here it is, SOT 5. Some people believe that power grows from the barrel of a gun. So it can. But history shows that it never grows well, nor for very long. Force in the end is sterile. We have gone a better way. Our societies rest on mutual agreement, on contract, and on consensus. A significant part of your social contract is written down in your constitution. Ours rests on custom and will. The spirit behind both, however, is precisely the same. It is the spirit of democracy. We want to build on that foundation and to do better. And if the going gets rough, I hope you can still agree with your poet, Emerson, who wrote in 1847. I feel in regard to this aged England with a kind of instinct that she sees a little better on a cloudy day, and that in storm of battle and calamity, she has a secret vigor and a pulse like a cannon. You will find us. You will find us worthy partners, and we are proud to have you as our friends. May God bless America. Doing the impossible, uniting the entire U.S. Congress, <laughs> <laughs> standing uniformly, uh, everyone clapping and cheering, uh, yet another feat. But I love that. I love what, what she said in the, of course, quoting Emerson, but that in the storm of battle and calamity, she has a secret vigor and a pulse like a cannon. The same could be said of her. Well, that, that clip, of course, is catnip for me because I'm such a proud Anglo-American. I <laughs> grew right. up in England. I'm, I moved to America. I'm, I'm profoundly invested in the friendship between the two countries. But whenever I have to wear a suit, I have these cufflinks that combine the British flag and the American flag in half and half. 
Um, and that's very much uh, how I feel uh, personally. Um, so, you know, so just to see the Queen praising both the United States and America and their common bond is is really wonderful. Uh, and of course, she's right. Uh, I I think that the the United States uh, and Great Britain are uh, massively important in the world and in world history. I think that on balance, they've been a great force for good. Uh, and it would be a, a sad day if the relationship she was just describing ever dwindled. Yeah, I was saying last night, it feels like your best friend's mother has died. And that mother was a role model to you as well. You know, that's how it feels over here today. Like, you really didn't want it to happen. There was something about this queen that made it feel like it just wasn't going to happen. Like somehow she was going to defy the odds and just keep going. Uh, though we knew, of course, that would not be the outcome. She's um, she's replaced by King Charles III. That will be his official title. And he's just spoken for the first time as king. We have a soundbite of his message. Here it is. My darling mama, as you begin your last great journey to join my dear late papa, I want simply to say this. Thank you. Thank you for your love and devotion to our family and to the family of nations you have served so diligently all these years. He promised as well, Charles, to uh, serve with loyalty, respect, and love, as I have throughout my life. He uh, did disclose that he has officially given William his, now King Charles's old title, Prince of Wales, and Kate Middleton will now hold the title of Princess of Wales, which technically was held by Camilla, uh, but she didn't use it out of respect for Diana. King Charles also gave his love to Prince Harry. Of course, his younger son now, Prince Harry, now the son of the king and wife, Meghan Markle, and ended the speech by thanking his mother in that soundbite you just heard there. Mm, not bad. Pretty good. What do you think? Well, Charles is a complicated person and he's had a difficult life in some respects. I mean, he's been waiting to take this job for 73 years. That's not to say <laughs> he, of course, wanted his... Uh, his mother to pass away. Uh, but that's not usual for heirs to the throne. And it can't be easy. Uh, on the other hand, he has watched the master work for pretty much his entire life. And if he hasn't learned the lessons that she imparted by now, he's not going to. Mm. Uh, he may be the king for quite a while. And his mother died at uh, 96. And his father died, I believe, at 99. Um, so they have some pretty good genes. Yeah. Um, he's 73. Um, so yeah. it's possible, you know, he could be there for a quarter century. Um, I actually think he's going to do an okay job. Uh, I, I think that people tend to step up when they're confronted with an institution of that um, historical importance. Um, he'll also be helped along with the, uh, by the men in gray suits who run mm -hmm. things behind the scenes, who know all of the rules. Um, 
uh, I mean, there's not much thus far that gives us an indication of how he's going to do Th this plan. I think it's called London Bridge uh, for succession has been in place for a very long time and seems to be going like clockwork. Mm. Um, so we'll see. The big challenge for Charles, though, is going to be staying out of politics. Uh, he has had a bad habit of uh, commenting on questions that are better left to the political branches. And maybe you can get away with that as the Prince of Wales. You cannot get away with that as the monarch. Uh, his mother never did it. No. Um, so, you know, if, if I were to give him one piece of advice, which I'm sure is unsolicited and unwelcome, mm -hmm. it would be, remember, you're the king now, and no one wants to know what you think about live political questions. That's right. That's right. The queen just say something like, uh, part of uh, being queen means showing up they actually do have to see you to believe so you just show up right. show up you mm -hmm. smile you do the wave and people will love you when you start speaking things tend to go south especially if you are a political person um let's talk about the reaction here the lunatic left out just with the worst commentaries we've read a couple of them i'll give you one that jumped out at me um a senior newsletter writer for new york magazine named terhaka love the uh -huh. queen has officially been deleted from the earthly plane. For 96 years, that colonizer has been sucking up the Earth's resources. She's represented an empire that has committed mass violence and brought multiple favors, flavors of atrocity to the world. You can't be a literal oppressor and not expect the people you've oppressed not to rejoice on news of your death. Now I'm supposed to be quiet or better yet, actually mourn what was a barely breathing, glad force flex trash bag? Please, no. Most of the world will be celebrating today. <laughs> She's not the only one, Charles. There's been a lot of reaction like that. Typically, there's one a professor at Harvard. There's a professor at University of Michigan. There was the professor at Carnegie Mellon, whose tweet I read earlier. It's all the established left and some folks on NBC deciding this is a moment to celebrate. What do you make of it? Well, I, I think the problem with that is that it's not true. I mean, leave aside whether or not one should speak ill of the dead. And the British are, I must say, much more willing to speak ill of the dead than our Americans. Our obituaries can often be savage. Mm. But what was read there is not true. The Queen of England was not an oppressor. Uh, the Queen of England presided over the dissolution of the British Empire, right. the decolonization uh, no, those decisions were taken by Parliament. So insofar as that decolonization uh, or anything that was done during the Queen's lifetime uh, was problematic, it's the Prime Minister, his cabinet, and the legislatures who uh, should be held accountable. But what a strange thing to say about a, a Queen who not only coincided with the end of the British Empire, uh, but was personally extremely gracious uh, to those who took over uh, within the Commonwealth uh, and went out of her way to, to dance with them and knight them and be seen shaking their hands and having dinner with them. Uh, you know, we're not talking here about some uh, 18th uh, century slave trader. <laughs> we're talking mm -hmm. about uh, a woman who was born in the 1920s who became queen in the 1950s and who died yesterday. 
Now, uh, I would more broadly point out, and I understand this is more debatable, that while the British Empire obviously did um, a, a number of things that were uh, regrettable, uh, and while I'm not a great fan of empires in general, the British Empire w- was remarkable not because uh, it had colonies and not because uh, it engaged in uh, slavery and slave trading, uh, but because it ended those things. It I mean, ended the, it. The, the great the early eighteen hundreds. Right. The the great difference between the British Empire and every other empire in history uh, is that after a while the British Empire decided to use its navy to abolish the transatlantic slave trade and then um, with the West Africa squadron uh, to get up in all other countries' business as well, <laughs> stop their slave trades where possible. But look, I don't want to debate the British Empire. There was a lot of bad. The Queen had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really is a stretch to, to sort of extend that level of vitriol toward her. But if you're feeling nostalgic for her, Charles, it might not be your love of colonialism. It might be um, your love of, I guess, how did they used to put it? Imperial nostalgia, because you're a white guy and you might be feeling nostalgic for the white power of yesteryear. Here's MSNBC's Richard Stengel. Yeah, it's coming. I, I have it's to coming. say to the, your earlier question, why why are news American news networks uh, dedicating all of this time to Queen Elizabeth's funeral? I think it's a good question. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think it's something there's a weakness in the American character that still yearns for that era of hereditary privilege, which is the very thing that that we escaped from. So um, there I've made myself. The no, I, the I love it. We're, okay. we're, we're, we're keeping it real. Oh, Lord, Nicole Wallace. Her, it's your yearning for hereditary privilege that makes you want to talk about this, miss the queen, or tune into coverage. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty unlikely, given that I moved to the United States and <laughs> I'm one of the most outspoken defenders of the American system of government and of the American revolution you're likely to meet. <laughs> uh, I, I, there is a strange disease in our media where everything has to be seen through this reductive historical and often racial lens. I liked what um, Zaid Jelani said on Twitter, uh, that so many of the commentators uh, who have gone down this road are really just subsuming this issue into their own worldview. They're not actually Mm -hmm. asking, how is the Queen? How is the British monarchy? How is Britain regarded in Jamaica or Pakistan or you know, India, which I understand is not in the Commonwealth, but was uh, one of the key parts of the British Empire. They're just assuming. Uh, and the, the answer to that question is, of course, very, very complicated. Um, but one of the things that is most interesting, I think, about the monarchy in Britain, uh, and when I say in Britain, I mean, you know, within the, the British Isles, is that non-white Brits are often more favorable toward the monarchy than our native Brits, especially younger uh, native Brits and uh, people who came over or recently or whose parents came over in the great waves of the 1950s, 60s and 70s um, are often uh, uh, patriotic um, in a way that people whose families have been in Britain for hundreds of thousands of years um, are not. And, and they tend not to be disparaging toward the monarchy. Um, and there's a great uh, BBC comedy show called Goodness Gracious Me that, that mocks the degree to which the uh, 
uh, Indian and Pakistani immigrants into Britain um, sort of picked up the monarchy as their own. So this is a very complicated issue. And, and I think some of the some of the coverage has just been, you know, edgelordy and silly. Last question before we go. Why is God Save the Queen identical to my country tis of thee in tune? I mean, it's the same thing. Have you noticed that we've been playing God Save the Queen? Like, I, I recognize this tune. <laughs> I think we just Confuse stole it. me. It just confused me enormously when I first moved here because it's often <laughs> right. played in the most American setting. And you think, wait a minute, didn't we, didn't we have a revolution to get rid of that? But apparently yes. not. We stole it. We looked it up. It was written by Samuel Francis Smith, who I guess was you know an American and uh, just stole the tune outright. So <laughs> didn't feel the need to do the work, apparently. Charles, such a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today and all week. Next week, we've got some big shows coming up, including Vivek Ramaswamy. He's out with his new book about victims, supposed wannabe glomming victims. Also, Jeremy Boring of The Daily Wire will be here. Remember all the fallout with Ben Shapiro and that podcast group bounced him? They were so horrified he showed up at The Daily Wire booth at their podcast convention. Well, Jeremy is his co-founder of The Daily Wire. So we'll talk all about it. And on Monday, we've got some big announcements, something exciting. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.